As COVID-19 cases continue to surge in Illinois, lawmakers have called off their fall veto session, and Governor J.B. Pritzker is warning of a possible second stay-at-home order. Last week's elections produced changes in the General Assembly and the Illinois Supreme Court, and the Legislative Black Caucus is continuing to push its agenda for racial and social equity. We'll talk about all that on this week's edition of Capital Cast. Hello and welcome to Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. I'm Peter Hancock, and here with me today is the entire CNI News team, Bureau Chief Jerry Nowicki, and reporters Sarah Manser and Ray Troncoso. Team, nice to see you again, even if it is only by video conference, which is how we've mainly been communicating the last several months. Good to see you too, Peter. So, Jerry, let me start with you, because you've been following the daily COVID-19 numbers on a regular basis. We are now seeing a surge in cases this fall that exceeds anything we saw in the spring. And Governor J.B. Pritzker is starting to appear frustrated uh, during his daily news briefings. Uh, here's what he had to say on Thursday when he warned of a possible second stay-at-home order if trends don't turn around. Since the stay-at-home order ended in May, we've allowed local governments to make decisions about whether they needed tougher mitigations and enforcement, and we've only imposed certain select mitigations at the state level on a regional basis. Those tools worked where people acted responsibly in local communities. But with many community leaders choosing not to listen to the doctors, we are left with not many tools left in our toolbox to fight this. The numbers don't lie. If things don't take a turn in the coming days, we will quickly reach the point when some form of a mandatory stay-at-home order is all that will be left. So, Jerry, where do we stand right now? How serious is this, and are there any signs of the trends turning around? No, there's no signs of anything slowing, uh, as far as I can tell, as an observer of just the data. Uh, um, in terms of hospitalizations, there's more than there has ever been for COVID, and uh, with more, uh, roughly 5,258 uh, at the end of um, Wednesday. So that number is up like 1400 from one week earlier november 4th and they just continue to grow um icu bed usage isn't quite as bad as it was in the in the early waves but uh, you imagine that as the number of hospitalizations grow uh, there will be more people that require intensive care bed usage and ventilators um, and positivity rates are growing uh, in our neck of the woods in the springfield area it's certainly far worse than it was in the early stages of the pandemic. Um, and I, you know, the governor has sort of warned that if we continue in this direction and that could positivity rates rise, which leads to hospitalization and then ultimately death in many circumstances, uh, he might be left with no option other than some sort of stay at home order. That's even though the uh, Department of Public Health is sort of recommending we stay home for three weeks now at this point. Uh, the order could follow, but right now, it's uh, DPH is saying it'd be wise to stay home. 
Yeah, the Department of Public Health is advising all Illinoisans to stay home as much as possible for the next three weeks. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot has extended that for 30 days starting Monday in the city of Chicago. You know, when we had the first stay-at-home order in the spring, we saw an unprecedented spike in unemployment rates in Illinois. We have started to kind of recover from that, but not fully. Uh, What kind of impact do you think economically a second stay-at-home order might have? Uh, yeah, I mean, there'd, there'd certainly be one. We don't know uh, to what extent retail would be closed or anything. You know, we just don't know what the governor would decide and what the stay-at-home order would entail. It probably wouldn't be the exact same as it was in the first wave. Uh, we know masking is more effective than we we understood in the first wave. Um, yeah, I think the virus itself is is a terror on the economy, but uh, the stay-at-home orders certainly make it harder to do business in the state as well. Okay, so one of the other uh, results of the continuing uh, surge in cases is that the General Assembly has called off the fall veto session, which had been scheduled to start on Tuesday, November 17th. I want to turn to Ray now. Um, the Legislative Black Caucus had really been looking forward to the veto session uh, because there weren't really any vetoes to deal with, and so it gave them kind of a clean slate uh, to push their agenda for a wide range of social justice and equity issues. Did you get the sense that uh, people in the Black Caucus were disappointed by this? Well, certainly there was disappointment among the rank and file. Um, uh, the caucus leader... Uh, Kimberly Lightford has basically said, you know, this doesn't really stop the plan of the agenda. Um, they'll either try to work out something during the lame duck session in January or try to do something before May as when she hopes the General Assembly will meet and basically discuss this very wide range of legislative proposals that, that the Black Caucus wants to advance. And you have covered a couple of those this past week. Uh, one of them that you wrote about, I believe, was ending cash bail, uh, which may sound like kind of a, a, a radical idea to many people. Uh, and also, you covered uh, proposals for police reform and putting more accountability measures on police. How much support do these things have outside of the Legislative Black Caucus? So at the beginning of the year, Governor Pritzker kind of outlined his criminal justice agenda, and he kind of reiterated it with some updates uh, last month, I believe. And part of that was ending cash bail. So there is support from the governor. Um, there has been some uh, mild support from from different um, agencies uh, in relation to criminal justice, like the uh, State Attorneys Association and uh, Public Defenders Association. To a limited degree, there was a a Supreme Court um, study of bail, which also recommended uh, some overhaul of the bail system in Illinois. And it wouldn't be the first state to get rid of cash bail. Um, The bills that have been proposed by the Black Caucus, uh, they've been filed in the Senate by State Senator Robert Peters and in the House by Representative Justin Slaughter kind of advocates for moving away from a cash bail system to what they call more of a risk system where people are held in jail not based on bail but based on how much of a threat they're believed to be to the community okay and the other major issue that you were covering had to do with police certification and decertification uh 
tell us a little bit about that. What does that mean? So Attorney General Kwame Raul has been basically putting together a working group since July, which has involved, you know, police associations, lawmakers, and he's been kind of working and also obviously the governor's office. And he's been kind of working on this issue alongside the legislature. And I believe whatever is ultimately proposed will come out of that uh, working group. And so what they want to do is kind of make the standards for decertification of officers a lot tougher in Illinois. Currently, the only way an officer can lose their certification is if they commit a felony or commit a very narrow range of misdemeanors. And there also needs to be a conviction. So they kind of want to broaden that to be, you know, any a lot lots of conduct that may not rise to the level of prosecution, but is concerning enough that they don't want that officer to be able to be employed anywhere in Illinois. Okay, and again, I guess we're going to have to wait until January at the earliest before we see any movement on those, and that's going to depend on the status of the public health conditions at the time. Uh, could be January, could be later. Meanwhile, I want to go back to Jerry because Ray was just talking about hearings that uh, various Senate committees have been holding. With the pandemic, the, the closing of the veto session, why is it that lawmakers aren't able to meet remotely the way we do and the way the Senate committees do? Yeah, it's, it's not uh, provided for in state law. And when lawmakers met for the shortened pandemic session in May, they, there was a bill that would have allowed um, for remote meeting of the General Assembly and remote voting. But uh, there was some pretty, pretty extensive opposition to that. And they stripped that language from the bill uh, at the last minute. So then the Senate uh, changed their rules for operating to allow for remote uh, hearings. They, they haven't uh, installed procedures yet for votes in those hearings. So the ones Ray's have been, Ray has been covering have, there's, there've been no votes. They've been what they call subject matter only. And the House doesn't even have those type of procedures in place. So they, they cannot meet remotely like the Senate can. Okay, good point. Uh, I wanna turn now to Sarah Manser. Uh, to talk about one of the aspects of last week's election that didn't maybe get a whole lot of attention, and that was the fact that a Supreme Court justice failed to be retained. It was the first time in Illinois history, at least uh, under the current 1970 Constitution, maybe earlier. Uh, tell us what happened there, Sarah. Yeah, so um, Justice uh, Thomas Kilbride, who is one of or was one of seven justices on the Illinois Supreme Court, uh, he was up for uh, retention election, which means that he was not running against anyone, but the voters would just choose to either yes, retain him, or no, not retain him. And in order to be retained, he needed to win at least 60% of the yes votes, and he only secured about 56 percent of the yes votes and so he became the first illinois supreme court judge not to win a retention election okay and you've covered the court for some time what what can you tell us about justice kilbride what kind of judge was he uh was he involved in any significant decisions yeah um he so he had been on the court for the past 20 years he joined in 2000 and um, one of the decisions that he he's a Democrat or he, he ran as a Democrat initially and um, is part of the Democratic or was part of the Democratic majority. Um, 
And one of his decisions that that got some criticism from Republicans um, was a decision in 2016 involving the um, support independent map groups, which um, tried to get a uh, initiative on the ballot in 2016 in order to um, change the way that um, the General Assembly does redistricting and they wanted to amend the redistricting section of the Constitution by removing the legislature's role in redistricting and make it a less partisan process. And in a four to three decision, the Democratic majority um, ruled against allowing that independent map ballot proposal. And Justice Kilbride was the one who authored that decision. And some Republicans, especially the ones who were involved in that independent maps um, ballot proposal, believe that Justice Kilbride should have recused himself. Um, so that is one decision that uh, some people feel um, he should not have been involved in and was um, just should have been recused from. Okay. And so the Supreme, the re- remaining members of the Supreme Court have already acted to appoint a temporary replacement. Uh, that would be new Justice Robert Carter. What can you tell us about him? Yeah, so they, they appointed him um, this week on Tuesday, and he will be sworn in on December 8th. Um, he has been on the 3rd District Appellate Court um, since 2006, he's been he was appointed to that court, and he's been reappointed regularly since then. Um, he's been a judge since 1979 when he became a, a circuit court judge, and um, he is a Democrat, or he ran as a Democrat when he was elected. Um, but he has said or he he told me in an interview this week that he doesn't think that um you know being a judge is partisan he doesn't think that ruling on cases is about party and um and that was also reiterated by the um other newest supreme court justice who will also be sworn in next month justice david overstreet who's a republican who was elected to represent the fifth Judicial District in Southern Illinois. Um, when he spoke to me this week about Justice Carter's appointment, he said that he supports the decision and he doesn't think that party plays a role in his own decisions and it didn't have a bearing in his assessment of Justice Carter as being a, a good judge to join the bench. Um, so that was that was interesting to see some level of bipartisanship on um, in an area that can can sometimes be very contentious and partisan. Yeah, and I was kind of personally taken aback at the level of partisanship in the retention race for Justice Kilbride. Now, new Justice Carter, I think you reported he does not intend to run for a full 10-year term uh, when it comes up in two years. What does this portend? Are Supreme Court races now in Illinois going to get more partisan? Do you think we're going to see more money flowing into these races? I mean, where where do we stand with that? Yeah, I I think judging by, like you said, this past retention election, um, 
where the the group that was opposing his retention raised um, about four million dollars or more than four million dollars for uh, or spent four million dollars at least that we know of so far on to oppose Justice Kilbride's election. So given the amount of money that was spent in this race, it would seem that um, um, the Republicans who wanted to uh, remove Justice Kilbride will spend as much or even more money um, on the 2022 judicial election when that comes up so that they can secure a Republican in that seat and try and uh, remove the Democratic majority that, that currently exists. Right. That would give Republicans a four to three majority on the Supreme Court. And it would be the only branch of state government that Republicans would uh, control or have a majority in at that point. Uh, Jerry, I want to turn back to you while we're talking about elections. Looks like there were some minor changes in the General Assembly. Uh, Republicans picked up a few seats here and there. Does this really change the dynamics in the General Assembly? Are Republicans really picking up more power here? Um, there, there's going to have to be some wait and see to it. I think there's a couple of races that are still within uh, the number of votes outstanding uh, to be counted for mail ballots, which uh, is a reminder in Illinois, if uh, we reported on this before the election, if, it's, if your ballot is postmarked by November 3rd, if it arrives at the election office by November 17th, it will be counted as per state law. So um the important thing to note is Democrats will have super majorities in each chamber, no matter which way you uh, look at these races that are outstanding. Uh, I think it, it's likely that in the Senate, the Democrats will even pick up one seat. Uh, the House, maybe, I don't know, it could be that the Dems lost two or, or, or something like that, uh, depending on how a couple of other races swing. So. Um, what will be interesting to watch is there's been a lot of reporting about some dissatisfaction with Speaker Madigan. I haven't spoken to very many reps about who will be voting for who or whether or not they'll support the Speaker. Um, that's something we're just going to have to watch and wait and see. Yeah, in Illinois, the Speaker of the House, Michael Madigan, simultaneously serves as chairman of the Illinois Democratic Party. And there was some consternation after the election uh, from some very high-ranking Democrats, including U.S. Senator Dick Durbin, who spoke on the Chicago Tonight Show on WTTW uh, television in Chicago. Uh, that's the public television station up there. And he began openly calling for Madigan to step aside as party chairman. Let's listen to what he had to say. Well, I can tell you, all across our state, and the advertising told the story, we paid a heavy price for the, uh, the Speaker's chairmanship of the Democratic Party. Candidates who had little or no connection with him whatsoever were being uh, tarred as Madigan uh, allies who were uh, behind corruption and so forth and so on. It was really disconcerting to see the price that we paid on that. Uh, I hope he takes that to heart and understands that uh, his presence as chairman of our party has not helped. Okay, so that was Senator Durbin. Uh, and then the day after that, I think we also heard from Governor Pritzker, who said that uh, Madigan 
appeared to be a drag on the party, and there was a statement from U.S. Senator Tammy Duckworth issued a statement to the State Journal Register here in Springfield to the same effect. Um, do you think the Speaker is really under pressure to step aside, at least in his role as the head of the party? Well, he's issued statements saying, you know, we're happy to that Illinois is anchoring, quote unquote, the blue wall. Um, that's that's his statement issued on behalf of the Democratic Party saying he wasn't going to step down. So there will always be pressure on Madigan. I've always thought it will come down to what prosecutors up uh, up in Chicago find out about his ties to Commonwealth Edison. And if more shoes drop there. We'll likely be seeing a new speaker in the future, but otherwise, it seems to me he's going to try to hold on. And like I said, we'll have to see how many uh, how many Democrats in the House peel away from uh, supporting him as as speaker. Uh, but it looks like he's trying to uh, maintain that power. Okay, well, we'll be paying attention to that as uh, we wait for the next legislative session to start, whenever that might be. And we're just going to have to leave it at that for this edition of Capital Cast. Capital Cast is a production of Capital News Illinois, a statehouse reporting project of the Illinois Press Foundation. Until next time, this is Peter Hancock saying thank you for listening.